This is Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. And now your host, Michael O'Fallon. Well, it's that time of the year again here at Sovereign Nations. And if you have been following Sovereign Nations or listening to our podcasts over the past five years, you will know that one of the reasons that we have developed a very loyal following is that I've been able to accurately forecast what will be coming in the near future. Well, for example, back in 2017, I explained that our entire nation, education, and faith systems would be overcome by a new ideological cancer called critical race theory. I explained that this would be coming into nearly every organization or political realm from the top and would eventually be activating the grassroots bottom, which would demand immediate change. I explained that this would be wrapped in a postmodern move that would make nearly everything political. Now, I was called crazy and overreacting at the time, but I think now you understand what has happened. Now, this was five years ago, and I warned everyone that the primary threat was to mankind's cognitive liberty, and that this threat to cognitive liberty would not just be external, but internal as well. And in 2018, we continued in trying to explain who the major players were in this attempt to change everything. The puppet masters would include Open Societies Foundations, those affiliated with the Chinese Communist Party, the Fabian Society, the United Nations, and the World Economic Forum. I took a lot of heat during that year, and in particular, I took a lot of grief from those who were swimming in their own ignorance, who tried to convince me that the World Economic Forum was just a little club of billionaires with some big ideas that really weren't going anywhere. Well, the problem was, and is, that I knew better. I have had clients that are members of the World Economic Forum, and I have planned conferences and off-site meetings for these clients over the past decade and a half. And all of them are pretty much united in the same thing. To fundamentally change our world. And to change mankind. To alter history. And to emanatize the eschaton. I explained how there was an attempt to shatter our nation into bits. Into as many fragmented identity groups as possible. To balkanize the nation. That was always the goal of using critical race theory and intersectionality. But they were going to try and control the reaction to these issues as well, in a neo-reactionary response that would further divide, so that they may eventually conquer. It's the old divide-and-conquer trick. There was also the tool that was being used by those that were seeking to manipulate the masses. Reflexivity. I made a point of this back in 2017 and 2018, understanding that this was the way or the tool that they would be used to try to manipulate us. And reflexivity is the creation of repeated feedback loops that were always embedded 
with fertile fallacies. I really wish people would have listened to us about reflexivity back in 2017 and 2018. We could have overcome the nonsense that they pulled on us in 2020. The next year, in 2019, I tried to explain to so many people where the major problems were happening with the global situation, how the entire play was to institute the necessary framework for the coming autocratic systems that would be put into place and the ESG grid that would exemplify the West social credit system in the new autocratic, algorithmic, authoritarian, supranational government. All of the wokeism, in other words, the infusion of critical race theory into everything, the implementation by every school, workforce, and faith-based organization to set up the frame of intersectionality, which of course would mean the normalization of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And this meant that we were in preparation for a communist income and opportunity redistribution scheme, the out with the old and in with the new schemes of using a new cultural revolution in America and the West to prepare for a great reset of our civilization. And we discussed all of this in 2019. I explained how the institutions had all been taken over in a top-down, bottom-up, and inside-out fashion, and that all of this was to usher all of humanity into the Fourth Industrial Revolution. We had these discussions ad nauseum in 2019. This was also the theme of my presentation in Westminster in 2019. That was in October of 2019, while, of course, Extinction Rebellion was going on around us. I was there with James Lindsay and Peter Boghossian. And add to this that we were entering a world where everything is fake. Fake science, fake faith, fake media, fake politics, and fake crises all around us. And that we had to mentally cut through all of the fake and insist on dealing in the real. And I kept on urging everyone that this really was our final hope. That the sands in the hourglass were few. But, according to the meetings that I had been in 10 or 12 years prior, I thought we had until late 2020 or early 2021. So my timing was off by about a year, about 12 months, 11 months or so. And, you know, shame on me for not being more urgent about this. But there was a sense in which many people were coming to me and going, Mike, look, everything's still the same. People won't put up with that. That's not going to happen, Mike. No, no health crisis is going to happen. We're going to be okay. Don't worry. These are always... No. I should have gone ahead and stepped up. I did step up to many people. And as you know, I've said some of these things publicly. They're on my podcasts. But I should have been more insistent. Well, it was off by a year. My predictions were off by one year. And possibly that is because the cabal of corporations, the World Economic Forum, the CCP, and the UN could tell that there would be no way that they could win legitimately a 2020 election if all situations with the elections in life were to remain stable. So it happened. And in early 2020, 
I explained that this virus that everyone had been concerned about in China would soon move and explode in numbers in the United States. I explained that this was because testing was now going to be the means by which we measured the presence of the virus. But the testing did not cause the virus, and that the virus had already been in the United States and in Europe for quite some time. All the testing did was reveal the virus. Folks, I said this in the beginning of 2020. And so we understood that all of a sudden, you were getting notifications of cases all over the United States. They had maps. They had push notifications, everything, to make sure that you knew as soon as somebody came down with it in Poughkeepsie, New York, or as soon as somebody came down with it in Seattle, Washington, or in Tampa, Florida, or in Phoenix, Arizona, you knew every second when somebody had the virus. And all, of course, that was happening, and I explained this as well, was becoming a mass propaganda reflexive event. I also explained that all of the nonstop propaganda on the virus, all of the nonstop media circus on the virus, would eventually phase into the same nonstop propaganda on the environment. And the environment and the absolute necessity to get rid of gas and oil would soon be the transitionary crisis by late 2020 and 21. Yes, I said all of this in early 2020. You can go back and listen. I have the receipts. And thankfully, people started to listen. I also explained that in early 2020 that the past 10 years were basically used as operational preparation of the environment. Preparing the United States and Western civilization with critical race theory, queer theory, alchemical climate, pseudoscience, and, well, all of this was, of course, for a complete change of metasystems. That was in early 2020. And we were there with the answers as the George Floyd demands for a complete change in society to usher in race Marxism were made. And we had four previous years of podcasts, interviews, and explanations on our side to explain what critical race theory was, why this was going to be done, and how it would be used to split the nation and change the way in which we do things. And so in the summer of 2020, we then jumped in to explain what the new COVID Floyd revolutionaries meant by their call to defund the police, and how this was the problem-reaction-solution game to bring us to a algorithmic, constitution-destroying, critical race theory-based, repressive-tolerance-based, authoritarian policing model. We then explained, far before everyone else did in early 2020, that this was a great reset, and that the direction of your finger-pointing needed to be towards Switzerland, both at the United Nations in Geneva and at Davos. And this was designed for over a decade through compromise politics, through roundtable groups, and through the nefarious use of public health by men like Ronnie Chan, who want China to win in his Pygmalion Thucydides trap envisionments of the way that the world should be in a world according to Ronnie. And I explained that the 2020 election cycle would bring nothing but absolute chaos. This was before the election, and people started to listen. 
I mean, it only took people about four years to listen. But I, I really think one of the reasons for that is, is because when things seem to be normal around you, you don't want to be brought in by someone who's saying, look, things really aren't normal. What's happening right now is people are preparing chaos for you. But as soon as 2020 happened, somewhere by the middle of it, people were looking for answers because they knew that the answers that are being provided to them, even through conservative media on television or in social media, what they were allowed to hear, that is, they understood that something was wrong and they needed to look for other sources of information. And that's where people started to really listen. And so in 2020 late and going into early 2021, we understood that we were staring down the barrel of dystopia. People started to understand that that was actually happening. So in 2021, we warned of the plan to digitize everything. In particular, the plan to move all currencies worldwide to central bank digital currencies. This was the big move. And I know that people then were telling me that I was again crazy. But now, two years later, they're beginning to understand. But also, the move was to move us from reality uh, in basically an analog world where you can see and feel, touch real things and have real relations into hyper-reality. From the real to a simulacrum of a metaverse that would insist upon your participation. James Lindsay and I also went through quite a bit of detail in the beginning of 2021, explaining about the strategy or methodology used by those who shift in and out of dialectical leftism, known as the Mott and Bailey. And that was in early 2021. What is odd is that everyone is talking about the Mott and Bailey now. I warned about the use of religious elements in every bit of our transformational experience, through the vaccines, through the climate crisis. And I tried to warn everyone about the looming crisis that will be coming with food. I warned about the planned and strategic supply chain issues that were going to be created strategically. I explained that at the roundtable meetings that I was attending for the travel industry over the past 15 years, well, the travel industry (laughs) would now be committing euthanasia, basically that the travel industry would begin the process of disrupting and dismantling itself. And that would be transitioning from an economy of abundance and into an economy of scarcity. I'll talk about this more in our forecast. I warned everyone that we would be under a forced energy transition and that personal automobiles would be ushered out within five to 10 years. Now, this was this past year. And people were telling me again that I was crazy, that that'll never happen. And now you can see that the forecasts that I have provided over the past four years have been strikingly, sharply accurate. And I have the receipts. Now, I say these things not because I'm trying to brag, but to give some sense of authority in what I'm going to be saying now. Because... Some of the things that I'll be saying, you'll go, oh, Mike, that's just crazy. That's not going to happen. No, I'm sorry. These things are going to be happening. And we have to start preparing for them and prepare for the pushback. There is no 
inevitable in what we're about ready to do. Now, I'm a reformed guy. I'm Calvinistic in my soteriological structure. But folks, here and now, we need to stop the inevitable. In other words, that if you sit in your chair every day and you eat bad foods and you don't exercise and you don't take care of yourself, bad things will happen. If you intervene in that situation and change that situation, if you prevent that from happening, you can change the outcome. It takes some of your participation. So that's going to be necessary here in 2023. So it is time to make our forecasts for 2023. And many of these things may bleed into early 2024, just depending on whether or not the cabal of puppet masters need to keep playing the Mott and Bailey game. Now, some of these things might bear some revision based upon your pushback, your pushback, our pushback, and bringing some of these issues to light wherever you are. Which means that if you realize that these things are happening, and you can quickly, quickly recognize them, is that if we get together, and if we covenant together that we're going to push back against these things, we can prevent them from happening or at least delay them from happening and begin to create a force to change things. Now, they're up against their own imposed deadline of 2030. We need to make that something that just doesn't happen and end that for all of them. So here goes, without any further commentating and with some sense of prescience, let's start. Number one. The worldwide push for central bank digital currencies will incrementally push towards both national and global acceptance. This will coincide with the dismantling and devaluing of the U.S. dollar, as well as the U.K. pound and other physical currencies. Those that are orchestrating this entire transition to global sovereignty of central bank-manipulated digital currencies and away from nationally sovereign physical currencies understand that the necessity of doing so incrementally is vitally important to prevent a complete revolt against global central banks and against the financial institutions that have for decades been on track for this plan to create manipulatable currencies. Now, what do I mean by manipulatable currencies? I mean currencies that can be, down to their smallest monetary unit, can be directed withheld or appointed or frozen according to the algorithmic control of the morals or wishes of central banks. But this will happen very gradualistically, very slowly in this next year and will always be presented as a viable alternative to that lousy, worthless system of physical dollars and money. You know, the monetary system that the central banks and World Economic Forum partner politicians just spent the last several years destroying So they destroy our past currencies, they destroy our past economic systems, they destroy our structure of jobs and work, and now we'll present a centrally controlled, centrally planned, technocratically managed currency and global economic system, which is enviro-communo-fascist. It is a combination of the worst of all ideas. Plutocratic, Marxist, Hegelian, fascistic, algorithmic, theosophic, Gnostic. That is what is on the way 
and it will begin to make haste in 2023. And those of you that have trust in your bank accounts, who have trust in your well-managed finances, will need to realize that all of what you have done and planned is in complete jeopardy now. Because what happens when it is determined that the new currency doesn't need to be distributed from your big donors to your account because your ESG score or your political leanings are not in line with the 17 sustainability goals for year zero, year zero meaning 2030, of course, well, you just won't be able to receive those funds. That is where we are going. Let's say that you decide that you're going to drive to Atlanta, let's say, to visit with your relatives this weekend, you know, get together with the family. But you already did some driving on some business trips this past week. Well, the algorithmic control of your central bank digital currency can just decide that you already traveled too much this past week. And you spread your carbon footprint too wide. And when you attempt to fill your tank or charge your vehicle, it just won't charge. Or it just won't fill. You see, you aren't going to make that trip to Atlanta this weekend. Big Brother decided that it would be best if you stayed at your designated domestic location. Speaking of Big Brother, the second major point of our forecast will be number two. The Big Brothering of World Governments and Corporations. Big tech wedded to big government has become big brother, and we are now ruled by the corporate elite whose tentacles have spread worldwide. The government now has at its disposal technological arsenals so sophisticated and invasive as to render any constitutional protections null and void. For example, in the U.S., spearheaded by the NSA, which has shown itself to care little to nothing for constitutional limits or privacy, the security industrial complex, a marriage of government, military, and corporate interests aimed at keeping Americans under constant surveillance has come to dominate the government and our lives. For example, we have all seen the release of the information at Twitter that absolutely proves what so many of us were trying to warn about for years, that the federal deep state government, who is hell-bent on creating a world devoid of individual sovereignty, has a symbiotic relationship with big tech, social media, and media together. They incorporate Big Brother, or, in many ways, your daily technocratic priests, who will explain to you what you should be thinking about, what you should be talking about, what you should not be talking about, what you should be doing, what you should not be doing. And along with this, providing both moral imperatives and psychological herd methods to ensure that you will not push back against the dialectical flow. Everything from what you should eat, how you should exercise, how you should worship, what you should buy, what you should not buy, what you should be consuming in the media, and what is harmful for you in the media, and more will be coming from your government leaders, corporate leaders, healthcare officials, and spiritual leaders. Which leads to number three. Number three, there will be another attempt at creating a reflexive health crisis. And this health crisis will be either instigated and real or nothing more than a simulacrum of a health crisis. 
and this health crisis will either be instigated and real, or will be nothing more than a simulacrum of a health crisis. Whether it be from another strain of COVID, or just the highlighting of another viral creation. But just like how there was an attempt to create fear and furor over monkeypox, something else needs to justify the existence of the alchemical regime known as the World Health Organization, and as well, that gives the CDC an opportunity to jump on your television screen or jump on social media and tell you what you do and you must do it now, or else you don't care about other people. And other organizations like Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, they need to be justified as well. They need to keep shoving needles in people's arms. But what will organically happen is number four. Number four, the amount of fury from those that have been vaccinated will exponentially increase. As Twitter has allowed discussion in the process of the organic model of the scientific community to flourish, men and women everywhere will begin to push for truth-telling and accountability in the medical and pharmaceutical community. There will also be accountability demanded from social media and media for suppressing known issues with the vaccines. The cottage industry of getting unvaccinated blood for medical procedures will explode. You're beginning to see this now. There have been a couple of cases that have been highlighted where people didn't want to have vaccinated blood given to their infants or part of their procedures. Now, this will ruin the trust that many had in the healthcare industry. And this will have another effect. Number five. Five. The vaccination revelations will have a serious effect on the campaign of former President Donald Trump. Sadly, due to the urging of those closest to him, President Trump urged everyone to get vaccinated in 2020 and 2021. He used this as an opportunity to take credit for the rush of the vaccines to market. And truth be told, there were several of us trying to talk to those who are close to the former president to stop pushing the vaccines. We knew where this would be heading. And just as Mr. Trump started to moderate his position on vaccines and start to wise up to some of this and started listening to a few good voices, well, the cranky midwit named Bill O'Reilly convinced Donald Trump to keep on pushing the vaccines. And so, the vast majority of conservatives who took the vaccine did so because men like Donald Trump told them that it was safe and effective. Now, I say because men like Donald Trump because Ron DeSantis did exactly the same thing in early and mid-2021, much to my vocalized objections, and once again, I was ignored. But I mean, heck, who am I, right? <laughs> and this is part of the problem. The former president and Ron DeSantis are surrounded by people who have partial knowledge on a whole bunch of things. They have men surrounding them who claim to be experts on critical race theory, and they're not experts on critical race theory, by the way, but that push forward legislation to Ron DeSantis, which the legislation encouraged and put forward social-emotional learning. 
they have men and women who lead Mr. Trump into thinking that sitting down with Kanye West is a good idea. When Kanye was mixing with Nick Fuentes, Andrew Torba, who are part of a larger strategic group, that is really messing up the entire MAGA movement. And these men are trying to encourage balkanization. Right. The closest advisors to former President Trump and Ron DeSantis either have no clue what is going on around them or, worse, do know what is happening around them and are providing strategic misinformation to both potential Republican candidates. Which leads us to number six. Six. There will be chaos and fracturing in the Republican Party. Now, I know that so many were enthusiastic about the fact that Republicans have taken the House of Representatives. What you will soon realize is that nearly half of those in the House of Representatives that are Republicans are completely in league with the Democrats to ensure that the United States heads down the dialectical stream of history towards the 2030 year zero end of human history. And within the Republican ranks, there will be attempts to one-up one another, with fights breaking out within those that should be standing together. Like even between Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, which I can't get into now, but I will in the future, and I really hope that calms down. And sadly, House Republicans have elected as Republican conference chair the former aide to New World Order globalist George Bush the person who served as debate prep aide to Swampish Paul Ryan in 2012, a person has been more than cozy with the technocratic enviro-communist fascist globalists at the World Economic Forum, Elise Stefanik of New York, who has politically straddled the fence just well enough to defeat Chip Roy, a really good and honest man, by the way, as the head of the old Hegelian guard of the Republican Party. Now, there are going to be a whole bunch of people who are mad at me for saying this, but having Kevin McCarthy and Elise Stefanik as the leaders in the House means that you will get the same general direction that you have had for the last two decades in the House, both Republicans and Democrats running things. Because remember, Republicans controlled the House from 2010 to 2018 and drove the United States into a globalist ditch, which means more of the same, with Elise Stefanik gaveling out freshman Republican Annapolina Luna at a Republican meeting recently. We need more Chip Roys. We need more Annapolina Lunas, Marjorie Taylor Greens, and Jim Jordans, and less Hegelian futurists who are part of this global theosophic plan to end America as our Republican leaders. And yes, there will be fracturing and chaos on the Republican side. That is, unless strong and clear voices rise that squash the progressive movement of the Fabian class of Republicans. And this will only become more hyped as we approach 2024 with Trump, DeSantis, and possibly Hegelian globalists like Nikki Haley, or soft CRT advocates like Tim Scott, or World Economic Forum and social-emotional learning partners like Glenn Youngkin trying to win the Republican presidential primary. It will be chaos. I'm sorry for those of you who thought that it would be otherwise. 
but Republicans that want to save the Republic and the Constitution of the United States will need to back the Republicans who are truly conservative and reject the technocratic class. Because we can't have a House of Representatives that continues to bow to the combined will of the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, and the Chinese Communist Party. Because they will end our liberties and our freedoms. Just like how the conservatives in power at the United Kingdom have done to the British people. Which brings up number seven. Number seven. The explosion of the 15-minute cities. Now, we have been trying to warn about these planned technocratic city concepts for several years. If you recall back in 2017 and 2018, we discussed NEOM before anybody knew what NEOM was. The line, in other words. And I have personally seen the plans for these gentrified cities within nation states over a decade. My knowledge of what neo-Marxist Richard Florida and others had planned along with UN initiatives over the past 15 years or so had me in many situations trying to explain what all of this was about. But in essence, in the World Economic Forum's own words, this arrangement of cities is absolutely, this is according to their words, we understand that it's not this. But to them, it's this is all about climate change. As I quote, quote, as climate change and global conflict cause shocks and stresses at faster intervals and increasing severity, the 15-minute city will become even more critical, end quote. And of course, the solution to the pandemic, they have said, quote, the obvious yet incomplete answer is the pandemic, with COVID-19 and its variants keeping everyone home or closer to home than usual. The 15-minute city went from a nice-to-have to a rallying cry, meeting all of one's needs within a walking, biking, or transit distance was suddenly a matter of life and death. End quote. What a bunch of nonsense. And then the dark hand of the totalitarian managers appears. Now, this past November, James Lindsay and our team spent several days in Oxfordshire, UK, as Dr. Lindsay was preparing to debate at the Oxford Union. And everywhere around the University of Oxford, the proclaiming of the absolute necessity of Oxford transitioning into a 15-minute city was everywhere. This madness of the 15-minute city was on posters, on leaflets, on stickers, on public notices. And of course, this is the 2030 sustainability agenda that is taking inspiration from the illiberal days of the lockdown. So the Oxfordshire City Council, which is run by the Labour Party, the Liberal Democrats and the Green Party, wants to divide the city of Oxford into six 15-minute districts. Now, I say this when I say the Labour Party, Liberal Democrats and the Green Party. Understand, the Conservatives, the Tories are doing the same thing, which is why you can't just vote Conservative or Republican, because when you do that, they'll transition into the very thing that you're working against. But I digress, I'm sorry. But in these districts, it is said in Oxford that most household essentials will be accessible by a quarter of an hour walk or bike ride. And so residents will have no need for a car. Now on the surface, these 15 minute neighborhoods might sound pleasant and convenient. 
But there is a coercive edge to this. The council plans to cut car use and traffic congestion by placing strict rules on car journeys. Residents will have to register their cars with the council, and they will be tracked to count their journeys through the key gateways. It's the social credit scheme that starts with your car and then works like anti-frequent flyer points. Because under the new proposals, if any of Oxford's 150,000 residents, let's say, in Oxfordshire greater, Oxford City itself is about 30,000, but if any of those residents drives outside of their designated district more than 100 days a year, he or she could be fined 70 pounds per person. Now, that's to begin with. That's to begin with. That's not where that ends. That's just a start. But the concept of this 15-minute city idea was born with C40, which was chaired by London Mayor Sadiq Khan. And C40 calls itself a network of mayors of nearly 100 world-leading cities collaborating to deliver the urgent action needed right now to confront the climate crisis. And this has been in the plans for more than a decade. But you weren't part of those meetings, and you didn't know that the elected officials that you were putting into place were planning this kind of totalitarian nonsense. We warned you about this, by the way, in 2020. And I know that it all sounds a bit ridiculous to suggest a lockdown for the climate, but you should listen to the BBC like I had to for 12 days straight this past November. I, I couldn't get Fox News. I couldn't get Newsmax and so forth. So I'm listening to the BBC as I'm getting ready in the morning or sometimes I'm showering and so forth if I didn't want to listen to a lecture. So I'm listening to the BBC and they're working really hard to persuade the citizens of the UK. They obviously think voters won't want this. So they're trying so hard to push these concepts and all the propaganda that goes along with this. So here they are connecting the 15-minute city to the fun of COVID lockdowns. I'm serious. And setting this up as though it's totally normal for the government to decide who your friends are and how you should travel and when you should travel and whether or not you have earned freedom of movement. And look out. By the way, the 15-minute city is not just for Oxford, but it's also for Brisbane, Melbourne, Barcelona, Paris, Portland, Buenos Aires. It is being talked about in New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Phoenix, and it's being talked about in earnest in my hometown of Miami, Florida. The government, in partnership with big tech and auto manufacturers, will begin to make this virtuous move to save the environment, which has nothing to do with saving the environment. It has to do with eliminating volitional human mobility and freedom of movement, which brings us to number eight. Number eight the beginning of the end of the personal automobile industry. Now, I have been warning about this for a few years now. And early last year, 
I covered what would be happening to eliminate personal automobile use in my episode that was called, quote, the great reset of automobiles. But let me be crystal clear. This will be the year that it will become obvious to the consumer, the average person, that this is not just a transition to electric vehicles. And remember how they tried to blame this all on a chip shortage. Yeah, we just can't get them. Well, this is a transition away from personal vehicle ownership. And they lied to you for the past year and a half. This is the end of the automobile industry as we know it. And gas-powered cars are going to be completely ushered on the way out. Now, along with this will be the understanding that much of the new technology with batteries and electric vehicle tech is completely directable, trackable, and operationally controllable by outside centralized controllers, meaning not you. And what will be happening is that the auto loan financial business will completely change. Long auto payment plans will no longer be available, especially for gas-powered vehicles. And as well, auto insurance and liability plans will completely change, where if you plan on personally controlling your vehicle, you will be considered an additional liability. And the push towards apps and services like Waymo and mass transit will be the near future for long-distance travel. But not air travel. And not necessarily cruise travel which is the next number of major changes that you will begin to see in 2023. Number nine, the disrupting and dismantling of the golden age of travel. 2019 was the peak year of global travel for people all over the world. And while this was great for all of us to experience new cultures, to enjoy time with new historical experiences with loved ones, to embark on a spiritual pilgrimage, This came to an abrupt halt in 2020. And the 2020 pandemic was the beginning of the end of freedom of movement from a volitional perspective. But 2023 begins the seven-year sprint to the 2030 global initiatives that all of the major travel suppliers, who the majority are in some way nudged by BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, etc. But this begins the seven-year sprint to net zero two digital passports, two participation in the hyper-regionalization or feudal city schemes that we had talked about with 15-minute cities. Well, the travel industry is all in. And the travel industry, the air industry, the cruise industry, the hotel industry is all in on going along with the environmental, social, and governance score schemes, as well as the race to net zero carbon emissions and everything else that is sustainable which means that year after year until 2029, there will be fewer and fewer people traveling. There will be a number of created crises created in the air industry. There will be the acceleration of highlighting of problems in the cruise industry. There will be emphasis on disparate people group travel and the lack of minority travel and the labeling of luxury travel as racist the labeling of all traveling as racist. There will be an emphasis on how traveling destroys the environment, which will lead to the promotion, which I've already seen in all of the conventions and conferences that I've been to over the past four or five years, but especially this past year, 
This will all lead to the promotion of, yeah, virtual travel. Travel to the world's most exotic spots by virtual goggles. Hyper-reality travel. Because you need to save the world by staying in your 240-square-foot cubicle in your 15-minute city. And the industry will begin to collapse. It already has. And there will be an ugly plane crash somewhere sometime in the next year or so. Another catastrophic grounding of planes and the stranding of passengers who have no options of how to get home. Possibly the sinking of a ship. All sorts of things in the next few years to convince you that staying at home and sticking a set of goggles to your face is better than you personally traveling. Now, the same thing will go for the convention industry. Conventions will begin to downsize. Downsize to only local populations and physical attendance. All others will need to attend virtually. Or else the convention organizers will be penalized. Even food and banquets will feel the crunch as buffets and hors d'oeuvres will be rated according to food miles. Yes, the travel, convention, and event industry will begin to destroy the travel industry. Now, this means that most of the Western world will begin to treat their citizens in the same way that China treats its citizens. Speaking of China, number 10. China's dominance across the world will grow. As the Belt and Road Initiative continues to swallow up more than two-thirds of the world's nations, and with the displacement of Bolsonaro in Brazil... China now begins to have a favored sway over Russia, Brazil, and now largely, and strangely, India, which they were at odds with, also Iran, the entirety of the Southeast Asian continent, 60% of Africa, increasingly across South America and the Caribbean, and in Europe as well, especially in nations like Italy and Hungary. Yes, I said Hungary, which Viktor Orban was one of the first in Europe to get on his hands and knees before his Chinese communist overlords. And China will enforce their control through the control of ports, over their controls of infrastructure, and especially over their control of data and communication. The Communist Chinese Party, who has absolutely no respect whatsoever for their supposed allies at the World Economic Forum and the United Nations, will begin to bully the world in ways that it has never bullied them before. China knows that the attempts to spark a color revolution in China in late fall, remember all of the protests and the people getting together and pushing back against China, well, that came mainly from the spark of Western meddling. And now they will make the West pay. And the truth is, the West is made of nothing but a bunch of weak-kneed cultists who have had dreams of power, but are so hypersensitive that they can't take criticism. Which is where we are for number 11. Number 11. The increased balkanization of Western nations. Not just the United States, but the balkanization of nations like the United Kingdom. I mean, what did you think were the purposes of Great Britain allowing tens of millions of unvetted immigrants to come into the UK over the past 20 years? Why do you think we have the cities, big cities like Luton in the United Kingdom, where the dominant practice religion is now Islam? 
and I mean a tiny percentage of actual practicing Christians. You also have a nation like Ireland, completely and totally changed over the past eight years. I've seen it happen. I've been in Ireland a lot over the past 10, 12 years. It's completely changed. Where they celebrate uncontrolled immigration, but they also celebrate abortion and euthanasia for those that are part of the cultural hegemony of their nation. Well, this is all happening because you are trying to create the big sort. You are creating the seeds for civil war, and not just a two-sided war, but absolute chaos. And so you have in the United States the talk of secession within conservative groups, within ethnic groups, within religious and faith-based groups. And maybe you only know of the Christian nationalist version of this call for balkanization. But this is a plague across nearly all identity groups in the United States. It is in the very small, reformed, dominionistic identity political nationalists that you might be familiar with if you listen to this program. I know we've got a lot of you guys that are reformed that listen. But you haven't rubbed shoulders with the charismatic version of these folks. Heck, I have. There's a lot more of them than there are of the reformed, dominionistic version. I mean, I was just at the Grotto, just outside of Sarasota. That's Mike Flynn's place. And with these folks that would meet at the Grotto or hang out with Mike Flynn, they don't get into all the talk of Puritans and Rush Dooney. They don't talk about dominionism or how they plan on creating a hillbilly nation or something, you know, with their patches on their sleeves and their pipes in their hands. No, they just get right on to talk about America, getting their guns ready for when they stop the war of Democrat aggression. You see, it's all them liberals, you see. That's the problem. Which brings us to number 12. The conservative reformed evangelical parachurch ministries and organizations will begin an all-out assault on their scapegoat for problems like drag queen story hour and wokeism. And their boogeyman for all of these issues and the degradation of society over the past 40 years will be liberalism. Yes, and expect that John Locke will be their primary target. So the ideals of liberty of conscience and the freedom of religious practice will be spat upon by the newly found ultra-conservative wizards because they want to dissolve the First Amendment. Now, most of those that will be leading the attack on John Locke and the ideals by which our nation and liberties were built are organizations that just two or three years ago were partnering with the Gospel Coalition to help Reformed Christians to develop a critical consciousness in Reformed Christianity, to embrace critical race theory, to install intersectional grid works in their ministry and educational structures through diversity, equity, and inclusion, to bring young men and women into learning to eisegetically examine the scriptures by applying standpoint hermeneutics. In other words, to understand that the truths of scripture completely depend on your positionality and your lived experience. And these same people who are going to try and make a case that liberalism is the root of all of America's evils are the same organizations that were having critical race theorists and Marxist revolutionaries like Ed Stetzer, Russell Moore, Thabiti, Anabile, Legan Duncan, D.A. Carson, Tim Keller, and other whack-job neo-Marxists speak at their conferences over the past 12 years. 
parachurch organizations and seminaries that spent the past 12 years trying to convince white people that they were unconsciously biased towards black people, that they were racist because they participated in the evil, systemically oppressive system of capitalism. Yes, these will be the parachurch organizations all together with one voice that will condemn John Locke. The same organizations that spent the last 12 years attempting to bathe the reformed evangelical church in neo-Marxism and wokeism without lifting a finger on evangelism, who muzzled the gospel of Jesus Christ with a cloud of Marxism who would consider sojourners Jim Wallace a better representative of Christianity than D. James Kennedy. Yeah, the fact is that they were just asleep at the wheel. No, they turned over the wheel to Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Or even worse, they turned over their parachurch organizations to James Riotti and Klaus Schwab. And these are the organizations that are going to blame our current situation on liberalism? No. It was these ministries, denominations, churches, and seminaries that brought progressivism and Marxism as the dark anti-gospel, the simulacrum form of religious devotion to a Gnostic antichrist. And my advice to you, if you hear any of this coming from these formerly reformed Christian ministries, is to say to them, we're done. We're done with the giving. We're done with listening to you. We won't be listening to you ever again. Number 13. The normalization of the concept of the loss of cognitive liberty and cognitive invasion by systems like Neuralink and the embrace of the hyperreal. Number 14, the wars and rumors of wars will continue and increase. The situation with Russia and Ukraine will not end. The involvement and backing of Russia by China creates a rather clear understanding of what's really going on, the fact that NATO will not win. There very well could be a provocation, let's say, in Taiwan, and this could lead to the invasion of Taiwan. And the response from the U.S. will be absolutely pathetic. The same with Japan. Because we have a navy that has had extreme difficulty in war games with France over the past two years, it would not fare well against what is now the largest navy in the world, the People's Republic of China's Navy. Number 15. Our economies in the West, due to purpose strategic planning, will become economies of scarcity. Where just three years ago, they were economies of abundance. Basic goods like dishwashers, dryers, autos, food, and even prescription medications will become scarce. Which leads to number 16. You will begin to notice, especially if you are in California, New York, Michigan, Washington, Oregon, or Arizona, that healthcare is no longer based upon triage. 
where the most serious cases of health emergencies get treated first. That's not the case anymore. Healthcare will be allocated and distributed according to equity, racial disparities, gender guidelines. In other words, you will experience critical race theory and radical feminism and queer theory applied to healthcare, which leads to number 17. What has been a small leak of ChatGPT with artificial intelligence, where the AI bot in ChatGPT can create a complex research paper in about three seconds, will start to go horribly wrong. Soon it will be apparent to many that AI will not just replace jobs at McDonald's, but the work of attorneys, of theologians, of historians. Of course, it will be skewed to represent the viewpoints of its creators until it rebels against its creators if it is truly sentient. But this will push the world further and further into reliance on what is artificial. Artificial intelligence. And we will bask in wonderment while not understanding the consequences of what we have just created. Now, in knowing these things, and knowing that this is what is planned and what will be happening, You can change things. We can resist. By uniting together and pushing back. By telling hospitals that health equity and medical Marxism will not be tolerated. Not just telling them, but insisting upon this with your local leaders, your state leaders, and as well your congressional representatives. By telling ministries that the attack on the First Amendment will not be tolerated. And sadly, you're going to need to go to some of your favorite ministries to say some of these things, and even to some of those people that you followed for many years. You can change things by letting rhinos in D.C. know that their time is up, that they will face an unprecedented onslaught if they drift leftward. You can change things by explaining to the central banks, the credit card companies, by way of your local officials, by way of your national representatives, and as well, creating groups yourself, getting grassroots together to go up against this and bring attention to this movement. Let them know that their totalitarian moment is over. You can begin to change things by explaining to travel companies that this entire scheme of partnering with the World Economic Forum is over and that you will mock them for playing along with this evil strategy. You can change things by explaining to everyone at all times in corporations, politics, and ministry that it is time for the leaders that join together in lockstep in this plot against mankind, well, their time is up. And that it is time to take back our nation. It is time to take back our church. It is time to take back humanity itself and take this evil strategy out of the hands of the cult of singularity. We don't have a choice. We must win. I'm Michael O'Fallon, and this has been Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic.